As you probably know, we recently sold one of our sites and one of the questions many people asked us was, what are you going to do with the money? Well, a large portion of that money is dedicated to our new websites, which are now underway. Following the sale of that six-figure website, we have learned a ton and are making several adjustments to the way we are building websites from now on. In this episode, we are sharing some of these adjustments with you and telling you why we decided to do these things a little bit differently. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't listened, last week I did a really cool interview with Carl Roof where we did talk about very nerdy SEO stuff. It was more of an advanced podcast. I know some people have asked for more advanced podcasts, so there's definitely one there. So check it out. But today we are back with Mark. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> so always the shittiest intros we do for this podcast. <laughs> We should just keep it together, but it's kind of like the awkward moment everyone's just expecting at the beginning of the podcast. I don't want to disappoint anyone, so... Maybe we should just start it. All right, tip number one is this, and just forget the intro completely. No, I think people I think people kind of like <laughs> expect it and wait for it, you know? So I, I don't want to disappoint any listener. Maybe I just need to prepare more interesting things to say in the intro then. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm just saying hi, and you're just like, hi, and that's it. Just a fun fact, Mark and I never shake hands or anything ever in real life. It's like we meet with people and we shake everyone's hand, but never each other's hand. Unless there's other people around who we don't know that well, in, the, in which case it might be a bit awkward if we didn't do it. Yeah. We don't like to make other people feel uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure now we're going to go to conferences and people are going to watch for it. But yeah, we don't like sharing germs, you know? Like we share a lot of things already. I don't think germs needs to be one of these, you know? <laughs> uh, anyway... Let's go on tip number one, because now it's getting really weird. So the first, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that we're going to do differently for our sites, for our new sites this year, is going to be to put a lot more emphasis on the quality of the writers and content creators in general we're hiring. I don't think it's just going to be writers. I'm looking at the niches we've picked so far. I do think there's going to be some YouTube in there. Uh, and I do, think, I do know that I want to do more YouTube in general. So I'm just going to say not just better writers, but better content creators in general. I would say we have not, never been really cheap on content creation costs. But, you know, for our sites, we haven't always been on the high end of things either. Yeah, I would, I would say we were kind of trying to, op- like three, four years ago, we were trying actively to optimize for cost versus now we're optimizing for quality. doesn't mean that cost is not a factor. It's a huge, huge factor. It's super important. I mean, when we're planning a site, we typically look at maybe 100 or so articles in our plan. And there'd be, like if it's 2,000 words each, that's 200,000 words of content. So for each one cent per word extra, you're paying for that. It's like $2,000, a three cent. And that's only for the first 100 articles. Yeah. The site we just sold had like almost 200. So, yeah, so, so actually, each extra cent is 6K in this case, you know? Yeah, like a three cent per word writer that for, for that is $6,000. Six cent, 12K. 15 cents per word, you're up to 30K. That's a lot of extra money to pay. And it doesn't seem it when you're just dealing with, oh, it's an extra one or two cents here or there. But those costs really do add up. Usually the most significant cost in, uh, in any authority site, at least in the early days. 
Yeah, it can change later on when you're just optimizing all content. But yeah, it's it's a lot of money. But what we're saying is essentially we're willing to pay that money provided we have a plan. And I think I think it's kind of like going to mix with another plan, but with another point that comes later. But overall, we have been focusing a lot more on hiring better people. And what I have seen it do to us is it's freed up a lot of time. For example, we have some new writers for Toy Hacker right now. That's why we are updating a lot of blog posts and so on. And we're going to have new writers on these new sites as well. And because we've been a lot tougher on the recruitment process, I mean, for the Atari Hacker process, there was 380 plus applicants and like two made the cut in the end. So like really not a lot. But what that does is once these people are in place, like I am able to actually get content rolling and it doesn't take much of my time. So I can focus on other things. Like I can focus on the actual marketing, market research, um, planning, preparing stuff, et cetera, having to fix their stuff, you know? I noticed as well, after you went to those conferences in Asia last year, you got much more into hiring and outsourcing stuff. You used to be very much like, oh, nobody can do what I'm doing. I have to do it all myself. So what changed there in your mind? I think I lost a bit of Frenchness on the way, you know? That's probably why. A little bit of pride left behind, and uh, that's what happened. It's just, I, I just couldn't do more, really. And it's like... Either I was accepting where I was and that was it, you know, or I had to change some things. And so, well, <laughs> it's like, if you want to progress, you kind of have to change things. Or, or I mean, it's, it's not like I was in a bad place, but the idea of stagnating just pisses me off. So it's just like, if we even stay in the same place for two years, I just like really will lose patience. You know? And so uh, it's either I progress or I die, basically, because of that trait of personality. And so because I was just not able to do more, I just decided, and I've just talked to a lot of people and I've decided that if they can do it, I can definitely do it. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of how this applies to writers specifically, um, of course, we were always working with writers even before Gail found his new enthusiasm for outsourcing. We're, I guess we're talking more there about, like, for example, we've got a really good video editor right now and a, a new designer that's doing really, really well for us. And certain things so we always have had content creators we always have had writers on our, our previous sites since early 2013 when we first started our first authority site but at the time when we were first getting into this we didn't really have i'd say the confidence that everything we were doing was going to work first of all so that made us a little bit more hesitant to invest you know serious money or or a meaningful amount of money and it was kind of like a well, let's do a little and then see what happens. And then maybe we can spend more after that. And I think you and I, Gail, we're, we're both generally quite frugal people. I mean, we don't really spend that much money on, on things in personal life and also in work. We're trying to get good value, basically. I would yeah, say. we made that mistake before. Like, if you go back and listen to our podcast about offices, you'll maybe get some more insight into to why we are this way now. But maintaining profit is very important for any business. You're going to have ups and downs. So you, you need to sort of have that good amount of profitability there. The thing with writers is we were, we're going for, I would say, cheap. Not like let's make it as absolute cheap as possible. We would say like it has to be decent quality. And then like how cheap can we get someone decent for? That was kind of the mentality versus now it's kind of like, well, we want someone really good what do we have to pay to get that? We're kind of looking at more in, in an upwards trajectory, I guess. Yeah, but I wouldn't go to the extreme of like, if someone's asking me a dollar award, I would probably never say yes, I think. 
and and some people do offer that, right? Yeah, we we talked about this before. And Mark Jenner posted a really interesting thing about someone asking a dollar a word in the Authority Hacker Pro Facebook group the other week, and a bunch of people replied saying that basically once you get over a certain point, for me that's usually ten, twelve cents a word, then. There's massive, massive diminishing returns in terms of how much better value you're getting for each additional cent. Like a lot of people are just kind of picking a number, making it up. Like they're they're not really necessarily worth that. They're just trying to see what they can kind of get away with. So fair play, you know. Some people, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like market conditions and whatnot. But what I'm saying is, you don't have to pay a dollar a word to get someone like really a plus level you can get someone much cheaper for that yeah but like at the same time one of the reasons we're doing that is not just for our ego or something like that it's just um like the site that we just sold had massive prizes for the quality of its content and that is one of the things that helped us with things like link building and and just catching up on the competition and also conversions and so it does seem to be something that brings us a competitive advantage and as a result it's something that we want to reproduce this time. These together with the branding, I would say, actually, that these are the two things that really helped this site being elevated compared to previous sites that we maybe had, you know? I don't know if it's just quality that's gotten that's generally gotten better for across websites in recent years, or maybe Google's finally figured out what's good content and, and what's not, or maybe it's just that we're actually going into more competitive niches and you yeah, know, I think the, that's the right. level of competition there in link building and content and everything is, is just higher. Probably a mix of all three of those things, really. But I think that's causing a kind of upward pressure on us to push further in terms of content quality. I, I guess it's something we're, we're not amazing at, but we're, we're pretty good at seeing what's like judging what's good content and what's bad content. I uh, think we're okay. Yeah. Like I see a lot of, a lot of pretty bad sites. Yeah. Once again, I, I'm getting my Frenchness back, that's why. Anyway, uh, I think you wanted to explain how we hire people now? Yeah, I mean, we've done a podcast about this before, so we'll, we'll maybe link that in the show notes or wherever as well. But it's basically you treat it like a funnel, and you, you first need to get as many people in that funnel as possible. Otherwise, you'll be choosing between a handful of people, and you'll be forced to make compromises. So step one, have good job ads that get lots of people pay money if necessary to post job ads on jobs boards. You can also look into niche-specific Facebook groups, not specifically for writers, but where content or people who are experts in that topic may hang out. Uh, That might be an interesting option as well. Uh, Have an application form, have everyone fill that in, screen them. If anyone's obviously terrible, cut them out immediately. For the ones, the people who look interesting, set up a screening call. Gail, you did a round of those recently for Authority Hacker. And as I hear, you were rather brutal on the uh, the screening process. But I think you have to be, really. And the, certainly the people who came through at the end were, were were very, very good. So something you were doing there worked, at least. I mean, there's a lot of people that are just going to bullshit you, right? I mean, there's that guy going to call with him. And he's like, I very much aspire to be an authority in the online marketing space, etc. It was for Authority Hacker, right? Etc. So I'm like, cool, what's a rock canonical? Uh, <laughs> and the guy is like, oh, it's a technical term I can find on Google, etc. I'm like, so you want to be an authority and you have no idea what a basic tag from on Google, I mean, a basic tag for building websites is that is very important for SEO. And just overall, that call was done in three minutes, basically. But I think 
a lot of writers want to be writers. I think you really want people who who almost specialize in the niche already. Like yeah. I know there's this whole talk of like, oh, you can teach them the niche, etc. The truth is, it's never as good as people who know it already. Yeah. And especially if they know it for several years. I mean, one of the guys we just hired, Niall, he's actually going to have his name on the Beskio tool post that we just refreshed because he just rewrote it. He has been following this stuff for years. Like when he started doing the Qo tool stuff, like he knew all of them already. And and I just had to show him a few things here and there on some tools he hadn't tried before. But like he knew all the market. He knew who was behind it. He knew all that. And that instantly made things easier. And the thing is, like it's not that much more expensive it just takes more time to research and i think well, the reason why people can't find niche specific writers is because they just don't get enough applicants so it kind of goes back to like step one of what you were mentioning yeah and you know when i was doing the application i was um i was asking for people to send me a, a url of an article that they have written in this niche and so one really quick way of screening because i think they had like i said 380 people was to just check the url of this sample they sent and if I saw it's unrelated, I was already kicking them out, basically. And the, the clinical was mostly reliant on having industry-related talks. So that, I mean, I can see how they write from their samples. I don't, I don't evaluate their writing from a code, but I can evaluate their knowledge of the niche and overall their personality as well. Like how much personality, how much critical sense they have, I think is important. Yeah. Like how much are they going to be willing to push back on the what is generally accepted in the industry? That's something I'm, uh, that these clinicals help a lot with. So after you do the screening call, uh, then you want to do a test article, then a final interview. And even after you hire uh, people, you want to sort of put them on trial and the, the first few articles that they produce, or you're still sort of assessing them at, at that point before you really start integrating them into your team. We've done a whole podcast on hiring writers, uh, I think last year or two years ago. So go back and check that one if you're, if you're interested in more. The other resource there is the book Who?, by I think it's Jeff Smart or Jeff Smith, I, f- I forget. Uh, but if you type who the book on Amazon or wherever you get your your books from, you'll you'll find it's really it's basically the the one book you absolutely must read if you're if you're ever going to hire someone. All right, so I think that's it for this point. Let's go for the next one, which is going to be simplified tech stack. We've also mentioned it a little bit before, but I have actually built this tech stack for one of these new sites already. I was doing that two three days ago. Basically, I just installed the WordPress site and I just decide which plugins we're going to run. So I'm looking at the plugin page right now, and there's literally 15 plugins installed, including like four of them for like site speed. So really like for added functionalities, there's only like 11, which is not that much. Most people run like 30 plus. So we've really, really simplified things a lot on the tech stack. And what I want is I want to like do it once. I want to spend one week on this and then I want to be done with it. I don't want to like have to add plugins or anything unless I really have to. Just to give an idea, we've mentioned it before, but we're basically using uh, the Elementor theme builder and now I'm using this Hello theme that we mentioned in a previous podcast as well. You can only download it on GitHub, and it's free. It's by the Elementor guys. It's basically a non-theme theme. It, there's just nothing on it. It's just completely white, so that you can use the theme builder on Elementor and build everything the way you want with the drag and drop. And a lot of people are like, oh, but like page builders is going to slow down your site. I like to tell that, yeah, but like most themes slow down your site as well. So like I literally have zero bloat on this theme, so I can accept a little bit of extra code from the page builder and kind of makes up for it. And right now it's really fast from what I've tested. So it works pretty well. What I'm doing as well is I'm preparing article templates for each type of article. So you can do it. Most people in Elementor do it with post types and create templates based on post types. I don't like it because it adds the slug in the URL for the post type. So like, you know, slash review, slash whatever. And I don't want to build my URL structure that way. I want to make it simple. 
So I'm actually using tags. So um, it triggers templates based on tags you have to a blog post. And so it doesn't alter your URL. So we're doing that. So like for best text for wise, for single reviews, for VS keywords, for these kind of keywords, we're, we're going to have a template for each one. We're going to add the type of content it is in the tags and it's going to trigger the page template based on that. So that everything is just like super nice, super customized, has all these dynamic fields, et cetera, that we've mentioned previously as well. SEO, we're using SEO Press. We kicked out Yoast because, well, Yoast messed up two or three times in the last few years and really messed up a lot of people's SEO. And SEO Press has been good to us so far. It's really cheap. It's really good. Even has schema support, which is nice. For link management, we're using Thirsty Affiliates. And that's basically it. So there's, there's really not a lot. The rest is like, you know, Google Tag Manager, you know, this less modified post that I mentioned, this less modified um, plugin that I mentioned earlier. I think as well for the actual WordPress posts, though, mo- like are, are you using the Gutenberg editor as opposed to actually building the, the post? Well, I've actually changed my mind on that. <laughs> I've actually changed my mind on that. And you know why? Because actually tables were pretty terrible. Actually, we did release a blog post on Atari Hacker where we wanted a table in there. And I think it was the case study post. And then, and then the, literally the whole thing was completely squished on mobile. And then so what I did is I moved the post to Elementor and I did page speed test. And essentially it was exactly the same. So actually it doesn't add that much. I, I don't know, maybe Elementor has optimized things a bit, but like I've done these tests recently on PageSpeed. And unless the page gets slow if you add more stuff to it, but if you're keeping the exact same page, you're building the same on Gutenberg and the same on Elementor, it's basically the same page feed anyway. So uh, I've decided to just stick to Element to Elementor actually for now. Cool. The next point is that we've been researching our niches much more thoroughly. When we first started our very first authority site, it was a case of, oh, what niche do you fancy? Oh, how about health? Let's go into that. And it wasn't really too much more complicated than that, honestly. Over the years, we've gotten a lot more, a lot better at it. Gail has a, established a pretty thorough process. You can find that in the authority site system. He has spreadsheets and all sorts of fancy wizardry for how he calculates whether to, to go into a niche. What we've been doing more now, though, is like I'd say looking at the financial possibilities and, and and taking that a little bit a little bit further uh, we had one recently where i don't know if we should reveal it but we were looking at it and it looked like it looked a bit very attractive some of the payouts were kind of all right the numbers looked sort of all right but then we started contacting the actual affiliate programs and, and asking you know what's your conversion rate and the kind of response back from the affiliate managers was a bit flat. Like they didn't really seem that engaged. They you can tell they don't do a lot of volume. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of a bit of a warning signal for, for us and kind of prompted us, I guess, to, to look into, look into some of the things a bit, a bit more. But at the end of the day, we're always kind of tying back what's possible with the actual numbers. So let's say commissions are $10 plus, conversion rates, uh, you know, X percent, whatever it is, how much traffic can we realistically get in a low, medium, high case? And then what would that impact be on the, you know, potential profit that this site could make? And running numbers like that showed us that actually the opportunity wasn't so, so great. I mean, the search opportunity was... was It was okay. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't on the level that we wanted to go. I mean, you could still make... I would say high four or five figures a month from in this niche, I think. But it was hard to go. 
beyond low five figures. We'll get to the, the next point, which kind of goes on from this in, in a sec. But we actually had some of our, our team research several sites at, at, the, at this stage in sort of uh, December, January time. And we said no to really a lot of them that, that All of were, them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we would have been good niches not so long ago for us. Like, oh yeah, we can definitely make decent money in, in, in that. But I think, and this leads us on to our, our next point that uh, I don't know if it's specifically that sale or just we're getting older, we've been doing this a while or, or whatever it is, but we're starting to aim a little bit higher and like look at really what the, the ceiling is going to be for these kind of sites. Does it have the ability to make six figures a month or or more? That's the kind of level that's very exciting for us now. I mean, if you if you asked me five years ago, do you want to make a site that makes five figures a month? I'd be like, oh wow, that's a, that'd be amazing. Let's do that, you know. But and now you make five figures, and you're like, eh. yeah, yeah. There's there's you're a like, kind fuck, of we fucked up. There's like a, a normalization <laughs> phenomena that sort of occurs when when I guess you start to have a little bit more success that at the end of the day, it's just once your basic needs are met, it's just a kind of like a number really. So it's only really big, very big numbers that kind of start to become more exciting to work on. And I think it, at the end of the day, it's also a time equation as well. You mentioned this when, with the outsourcing, like time for us is definitely our biggest bottleneck. So we, we can definitely start lots of sites and lots of interesting, cool niches, rank and get lots of traffic and, you know, make four or five figures a month from, from, from some of these sites. But what else could we do? We'd be doing with our time. Could we instead step up a level and, and aim for the sort of six figure a month range? Yeah, I mean, we certainly think so. That's not to say that, you know, making, five figures a month is is a bad thing or or even that we're like completely crushing that and you know super rich or anything that's not the case at all we're talking about sort of goals and aspirations here and uh, remember as well it's not just about how much you make per month from a site it's also the value of the site you multiply that by 30 35 40 even and you you get the true valuation so 25k a month uh, times 40 so that's a million dollars right there that's definitely a lot of money so that's obviously very exciting. So it's a different way to, to think about it uh, as well. Uh, if you're going to invest in good content, if you're going to go the extra mile, then I, I think it's fair to say that you, you probably want to be rewarded for that. You don't want to be putting all this effort and money in if the ceiling is is relatively low, right? Yeah. I'd say, I mean, I'd say there's an argument against it as well. There's an argument to say that if you could build sites fast, that make like even four figures a month then and just kind of like they can essentially glide for a while then it's it's a decent investment with your time i mean a good example for me is the case study site for task 1.0 i built it in like six days and it made like it's not like we got rich from it but for the amount of time i spent like it's made good money you know and so I would say there's different ways to approach it. It really depends what you want. Do you want to make a shit ton of money or do you want passive income? I wouldn't even say that. It's it's more, uh, I mean, we can get into the whole debate about should you start one site or many sites. I'm sure we have a podcast where we talk about this this exact thing for like an hour or something. For me, it's really about what's going to last and starting lots of small shitty sites. I feel like that's not going to be something that's, that's, that's going to be around in you know five, 10 years time. 
starting that's not to say that every authority site we start is going to be around in yeah, five, ten yeah. time either <laughs> see you in five but, ten years see if anything's left you know yeah but i i think that it's more likely to to be the case at least yeah it's a it's a reduce the risk it's like you reduce the risk in exchange for extra resources you know so it's kind of that's that's why like maybe what you want is you want to split your resources take a higher risk but flip faster you know that's what essentially my dignity does you know yeah, it's also about like scaling and really having your your processes down. If you want to, you know, be deploying two three sites a month or buying and flipping them and yeah, doing yeah. that, then you can do the high quality stuff. Yeah, you need to have your processes, your systems, your team like really down to a T to to do that well, because you don't have the bandwidth to control that over dozens of sites yourself individually yeah for sure and usually the set the quality suffers so the first point suffers from it as well yeah like either you build like a few things right or you build a lot of things not so right yeah it's either you have to get get really good at doing stuff or really good at scaling stuff yeah and when you scale up it's like you haven't had time to go deep in it so you you usually don't do the best stuff like people that have the largest scale they don't always have the best product yeah anyway that is like literally completely off track but um, we're going to go into the next point, which is also an interesting one that kind of touches a little bit all that, is that so far, when we've started websites, we essentially started with like a, a blue sky view with like no limits. We could look at any niche and do anything. The problem in the approach is that essentially you have to learn a brand new niche from the beginning. You have to find a new team that is specialized in that niche. You need to build relationships from scratch, folding, building, and so on, and promotion. And it's just a lot of work to, to get the, the engine going and often a lot of money. So now what we're doing is when we start new sites, they do have a degree of overlap with sites we already have in the portfolio. Therefore, we can do things like go back to writers that we're using and use these same writers for these new sites. We can take the list of the sites we successfully acquired links from from outreach and re-email them and have a very high chance of getting links very fast and essentially growing these domains much faster than if we had absolutely no experience in that niche. And so we're kind of like doing this, this overlap game when, you know, let's pick a niche. Let's say you have a yoga, a yoga website, then maybe you'll do a home fitness website and then what happens is uh, anything that's related to like stretching pain and a bunch of other things some equipment as well like the mats and so on overlaps uh, between the yoga site and the home fitness site and you're able to either interlink the sites or just use the link building the same writers etc for both sites and so that allows you to have something to start and not start from scratch every time that's what we we are going to I think there's that. also some less tangible benefits of of doing it that way and that's just your own understanding of the niche in every site which we've gone into over the last 5 6 years we've had to essentially learn a new topic from from scratch yeah. it, it it just takes time to to do that to get familiar with it not specifically just for keyword research or anything but across across the whole whole spectrum of just learning takes time to figure out what products are in the space, what people are talking about, what people are interested in, what the direction the competitors are, all these kinds of things. So by going sort of like a little bit closer to what you do, you kind of skip some of that and you can, you can save time. 
not to mention all those other benefits like Gail said, like content and link building reusage and, and stuff. I'm not saying like go start an identical site to what you're you're doing right now. No, I said overlapping. Um, oh yeah, the key there is, is overlap. You do also have to be a little bit careful if, for example, you've sold a site, then it's most common that you'll end up with a, a two-year non-compete where you're not allowed to basically start another site or be involved in another site in, in that space. What happens if you already have one? If you have like an overlapping site and you have this non-compete, what happens? I mean, you'd be a pretty dumb to sign such a non-compete if you already had had that in, in place. I don't know. Someone would probably sue you. Don't do that. It's when, you, when you're selling a site, you generally have to kind of disclose these things. But if you do have a site, um, if you do have 10 sites in a niche and you just want to sell one of them, most likely you're not going to sign that non-compete because that would be, as I said, dumb. So you'd have to disclose that to the, the buyer or the broker or whoever. But all these things can be managed or can be altered on a case-by-case basis. I'm just saying that's the, the standard kind of way of working. Yeah, I think one thing as well is um, once you have found keywords that are profitable for one site, you can actually write pages on the same keywords for the other sites and uh, essentially just have multiple listing on your best keywords, which is one of the easiest ways to grow your revenue when you do affiliate marketing. So yeah. um, that's another benefit. I've of started that. as well seeing lots of consolidation in, especially in competitive yeah. spaces. <laughs> So they they still maintain different brands, but they're essentially controlling like half of page one. A couple of good examples of this is Booking.com. They actually own Agoda, Kayak, Momondo, and CheapFlights.com. Expedia owns Travelocity, TripAdvisor, Orbitz, and Trivago, and a ton of other ones as well. There's a lot of consolidation going in, on in the, the travel space to the point where it's quite difficult to compete with those sites now if you if you, if you want to start one from from scratch without even with serious investment just because those guys are so dominant and you know you go on TripAdvisor, then you can book that hotel that you found through expedia and you know the, this company is still making money at the end of the day that's on the bigger scale on the smaller scale this is also happening i've seen this i saw this a lot in the, the niche for the the site we just sold uh, a few months ago that was happening indeed someone in that niche bought our site for essentially this purpose and they're, they're maintaining the, the the brand and all that so yeah it's, it's definitely happening more and more i think as we've outlined in this point is this a kind of what do you call it like economies of it's not economies of scale what's the word it's efficiencies basically yeah they already have the data of what's making money they just need to like it's easy like once you know what to do in this market, 80% of the work is finding what works. Once you have found what works, it's not hard to do it, you know? Yeah, you also have more sort of bargaining power as well. If you're dealing with uh, an affiliate, then like an affiliate manager, then you can negotiate higher commissions if you're going to be sending more traffic, that kind of thing. That's also important. And also have the resources, you know, to maybe deploy your own products and, and that kind of thing as well. Yeah. So uh, that's what we are basically doing now as well. We're consolidating ourselves by focusing on. Not exactly the same niche, but like adjacent niches. So we can share resources between websites, manage more sites at once with one team and take advantage of what's working over multiple sites. As we alluded to before, time is definitely a bottleneck for us at the moment. It has been for a while. So we had a chat in, I think it was in our Chiang Mai planning session in November. And we we're like, okay, we 
want to start new sites. We don't want to be the guys who just do IM or anything. Like we we want to make sure our portfolio is is maintained, is broad, and we're like learning new new things. But it's a lot of time to to do that. So we need to we need help with this. So we decided to involve our some of our existing team in creating new sites, but not just sort of a go build a site or go research this site, but really taking full ownership and responsibility for it. In the past, we've had people uh, on our team take over link building or even content for, for specific sites at specific times. But, but it's always been either Gail or myself who's kind of been in charge, if you want to say that, of the site and been responsible for the results of, of a site. Therefore, it's kind of a bit of a mental shift to to have other people kind of own the site. And it's, it's quite nice, actually. I mean, it hasn't gone exactly smoothly and, and, and as, as we planned. I was going to yeah. say, there's the plan and there's what <laughs> happened, you know? I mean, we, we were like, oh, let's start loads of sites. Let's have everyone in the team start their own site this year. But that was a little bit more tricky than we, we expected. I think we tried to do too much too, too fast with that. So... Not everybody is doing it, but we are making progress. We have one site which is already live and already kind of like starting to take shape now, which is which is nice. But that wouldn't have happened so quickly, I think, if if we hadn't had uh, other people kind of taking the helm with it. Yeah, we're putting people in charge, but we're still helping them out. But it's going that direction, which is nice. Like, for example, interviews happened today and we didn't have to do anything. And that was nice. So that gives the this this wasn't just like some random person we hired off Upwork to to manage a site for us. It was someone you know they've been with us for for two years at the time. So it gives you kind of an idea like people need to kind of know what you're doing. So yeah. So the next point is that we are now building our sites in a perspective of maybe selling them, and so it doesn't change a lot to the way we're building things. It just means things are tracked better. And we've worked a lot in the last maybe six months in cleaning up the way we track things. Things like how do we track our expenses? How do we track the time we spend on things? How do we track the actual revenue months by month, et cetera? And the fact that we track these things is what allowed us to do, for example, this case study post that we posted on the site we sold because we had all that data. And it was very easy to give that to the brokers when we sold the site. And that's why it went so fast as well. So we're doing that, but we're also building our sites in a way that they're easy to transfer. So my face will not be on it or Mark's face will not be on it. We won't necessarily use personas. We can just put the writer's name on content, for example, like, but just put forward the editorial team and so on without necessarily having our names in front, etc. And things like uh, having separate accounts for everything or separate affiliate IDs and so on so that we can justify the income. And we can also transfer accounts like affiliate accounts and so on if we need to sell the site. So essentially, we're looking at everything that we've been doing uh, when we sold this site and we are preparing in case the new ones we're building, uh, in case we want to sell them, basically. It's going to be very easy, very painless, and it's also something that can attract buyers and maybe even get you a premium for your Yeah, site, so. I, I just um, want to highlight yeah, the fact that it's a maybe sell them as well, not definitely sell them. So it's very good practice to build your business as if you are going to to sell it at some point because when you do that you're building a more efficient business you have better control of your cost you're not spending on stupid stuff that's not moving the needle so doing that and having that kind of mentality 
as well will result in a more profitable probably bigger site as well because you'll be you'll be more in control of your costs and you'll be focusing on keywords that are going to bring revenue and, and all that kind of good stuff as as well yep that's the point the next one is that we're going to be a little bit more creative on on link building and we're even going to do some uh, pr etc we did touch on this a few episodes ago but we did find that there was a massive difference when we were not only able to do the classically milling that we do that works really well, especially at the beginning of the sites, but also when we were able to combine it with like high DR things. And so there's a special effort being put in that. And that means that we will do things like digital PR, like I mentioned before, influencer marketing. Uh, we will probably try to do like larger link baits. So like interactive content or free tools uh, using controversy, etc. And essentially just doing what these, you know, higher end brands tend to do. And what this does is when you get one of these pieces working really well, I mean, some pieces can get like a thousand links, for example, for really, really good link baits. That gives you the opportunity to directly catch up with your competition and just be on the map. If, even if you try 10 times and you only get one successful, that one that's really successful, then you're already on the map. You've already caught up with all your competition and now you can compete on most keywords. And so, yeah, we're not, we are going to do everything that we have done so far because that's worked really well. And proof is we just sold the site for a lot of money. But we are going to keep pushing the envelope to be even more competitive and do things that most SEOs of our scale do not do, but rather, you know, big PR agencies and so on do. And so that's an effort that should be started in the next few weeks, actually. So I'm pretty excited for that. Mark, you're going to be doing a lot of that. Uh, at least you're going to do the outreach part. I think I'll, I'll do the creative. Yeah, part. I was going to say, are we are we going to see your face on any CNBC discussion panels on the on the news at some point? No, 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 no. When I say with digital PR, it doesn't have to be that. It just can be like a, a really, really cool piece of content. I mean, um, an example that distilled the SEO agency had, which was uh, they did for like Expedia or something. And they made like some interactive piece of content on like the, the geography of music or something and how it mixed up to create different styles of music, et cetera. And they got like a thousand links for it. And and all like free tools, for example, is a, is a good example. Like look at how many links Neil Patel is getting with Uber Suggest right now, like hundred. It's like this kind of stuff that is not just putting walls of, uh, walls of text on a piece of, on a page, but like, you know, doing a bit more than that to make something cool on the internet. And promoting that, that's more stuff like that. That's not like CNBC morning shows, et cetera, you know? That's basically it for the list of things we're going to do a little bit differently. For the rest, we're mostly going to do the same. If you want to know the other things we do for building websites, you can check out the Atari site system. You can go on atarihacker.com slash system and you will figure out, you will find a course there. That is it for this podcast episode. Anything else you want to say, Mark, or that we will do differently that we didn't mention? No, I think we covered everything. Cool. Then if you enjoyed the episode, guys, don't forget to subscribe. We are now on Spotify. I see the subscriber count is growing a lot on Spotify, which is why I'm pushing it. But yeah, if you use Spotify, it's probably the best place to get the podcast. If you really enjoyed the episode, don't forget to drop us a review, whichever platform you're using. And thank you for listening. We will see you next week. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.